In the book of Hebrews, chapter 11, we find the Hall of Faith, an impressive collection of people who put their trust in God on display for all to see. Among these people, we find Samson, whose story on the surface doesn't seem to belong. During his life, he broke his God-given oaths, murdered countless men, burned his enemy's fields, and was seduced by a deceitful woman. Why is Samson mentioned in this list of faithful men and women? Let's continue our journey through the great Hall of Faith. Well, as we get started today, I want to say welcome to those who are joining us online, those on TV, and those in person at all of our multi-site campuses. Uh, we are in this series called The Hall of Faith, and it has been amazing. We have been learning about all these great men of faith who lived lives that trusted in God no matter what. And what we found is that they weren't perfect by any means, but they all trusted in God no matter what they were facing. And so about two months ago, Todd came to me and he said, hey, Andrew, I want you to speak for the Hall of Faith. And I was so excited. I was like, oh man, I hope I get to speak on Moses or Abraham or someone else. And he said, no, Andrew, I want you to speak on Samson. And I said, Samson? Like, Todd, I am surprised he's even on the list. Why do you want me to share about Samson? And that was when he said, I want you to share about Samson because his life was derailed by sin. And sin does that to us, doesn't it? It can derail us. All the consequences that come with sin are so hard and so difficult. Now, when you hear the word of sin, I know that that's a loaded term. Sometimes you think of a parent or someone who's real judgy or anything else. But a lot of times we don't really know what the word sin actually means. The word sin, though, actually comes from a Hebrew word, chet. You have to say it with a good guttural, chet. And that means, basically, to miss the mark. You were aiming towards the standard, but you missed it. You didn't follow through. Very simply put, it's all the wrong things that we do that are against the standards that we find in the Bible. You see, the Bible has certain standards in it, doesn't it? And these standards weren't meant to make your life a drag. They were meant so that you could have life, life more abundantly inside of being connected to God. God knew that if you lived under your own standards, that would be bad. You would do whatever you wanted. So God gave us some standards to live by. We find some of those standards in the Ten Commandments. And you might know some of the Ten Commandments, but just as a refresher, uh, we know that there's a commandment to not lie. Now, if you've ever been a person who's been lied about, whether it was on social media or a friend or somebody else, it always hurts. As well, if you're caught in a lie, man, it can ruin your reputation, your integrity, and everything else. Then in the Ten Commandments is the sin of adultery. And if you've ever seen the sin of adultery before, you know that it ruins families. It ruins relationships. It ruins children and so much more. There's so much destruction that comes out of the sin of adultery. There's also the sin of stealing. Now, no one likes it when somebody takes something that is yours. You always feel violated. 
About a year ago, a person stole my iPhone 9. I was not a happy pastor. I felt violated. I felt hurt by that. And $900 later, I had to buy a brand new iPhone. Stealing is always bad. Now, when you are the person who stole something and you're caught stealing something red-handed, it always hurts as well. But here's the problem. A lot of people look at the standards in the Bible, and what do they say? They say, oh, that's so archaic. I mean, nobody could really live that way. That's no fun. You're just a prude if you follow all those different standards. And folks, that's exactly what the evil one wants you to think. The evil one wants you to think that these standards are oppressive, that God's actually holding out on you because he knows if you fall in the grips of sin, that it will leave you empty, alone, and holding the bag. That's exactly where the evil one wants all of us. And Samson is a story about sin because his life was absolutely derailed by sin. But out of the ashes of defeat, I love the story because hope rises. Hope rises in the midst of all that. Now, Samson begins as an amazing story. His parents actually can't have children of their own, and so they pray to God, and God shows up. And God sends the angel of the Lord to them and reveals that they are about to have a child. But this child has to be raised in a certain way because he's going to deliver the Israelites from the Philistines who were ruling over them and oppressing them. So he was to be brought up as a Nazarite, which meant that there were three standards that he had to live by. The first was he couldn't drink wine or eat grapes. I love grapes. That would be really hard for me. The next one was he can't touch a dead body or anything unclean. And then finally, he can't shave his head. Now, Samson had these three standards that he had to live by. These were the three standards that he was to live by for the rest of his life. Now, in the Poe house, we have some standards for our kids. We say, kids, you can't fight. You can't slam your door. You can't lie. And we have a few others. Now, it might surprise you, but even as pastor's kids, my kids have a hard time following the standards. And a few years ago, I remember my wife was at work as a nurse. I took my kids to Costco. And Costco is like a sagebrush magnet. I mean, there are so many sagebrushers in that store. And so I'm walking through Costco, right? And my three kids, they're just misbehaving the whole time. And I live as a pastor in like a fishbowl. Like everybody's kind of standing on the outside watching my life. And I could feel it that day in Costco. So I'm doing my best to try to control my children. I'm giving them the evil eye. I'm trying to make them behave, but nothing's working. So finally, right? We get out to the car, to the minivan. I've got the minivan open in the back. I haven't even unloaded all my groceries. I get the kids in the car, and I start reaming them. Start just laying into them. Kids, you got to behave. Dad's a pastor. You're going to wreck my reputation and everything else. And I'm just laying into them. I slam the car door, and there's two ladies at the back of the car. <laughs> and they are white as a ghost. And they're like, hey, Pastor Andrew. <laughs> and that's just us, right? We have a hard time following the standards that God set up for us. Now, Samson had three standards to follow. 
three things that he was supposed to do, and he had a hard time with those three things. Now, Samson's story begins with his birth, and then shortly after his birth, the Bible says that he was walking up the river, and he sees a beautiful Philistine woman. Now, the Philistines and the Israelites, they didn't get along. They were like arch enemies. But Samson falls in love with this Philistine woman. I mean, think all Shakespearean, this is like Romeo and Juliet. This is the girl across the tracks that you just don't spend any time with. But Samson goes to his parents and he says, I want this woman as my wife. And the parents don't quite understand. They say, isn't there some Israelite woman that you could, you know, be married to or anything else? But the parents, as well as Samson, didn't understand God's bigger plan. Here's what it says in Judges chapter 14, verse 4. It says, His parents did not know that this was from the Lord, who is seeking an occasion to confront the Philistines. For at that time they were ruling over Israel. So what his parents didn't know was that God was at work. That God had a purpose and a plan for Samson's life. And God had made Samson just this incredibly strong guy. When the spirit of the Lord came upon him, he was exceptionally strong. In fact, on one of those journeys that he was walking to see that Philistine woman, he's walking down the path and there is this wild, ferocious lion that jumps out. Samson takes his bare hands when the spirit of the Lord comes upon him and he rips the lion in two and he throws it on the side of the road. You see, the Spirit of the Lord would come on people for certain times. It wasn't like nowadays when the Holy Spirit is inside of us after we believe in Jesus. It would come upon them to accomplish these amazing different things. Now, we don't know what Samson looked like on the outside. Sometimes, if you grew up in the 90s, you would think that Samson looked a little bit like Fabio. (laughs) Mr. I-can't-believe-it's-not-butter himself. I grew up in the 90s. My kids wouldn't know Samson as uh, Fabio, but they would know him as Thor, uh, Chris Hemsworth. Um, They would see him as that, just the rippling muscles and the hair. But from the Bible, we don't know if Samson lifted weights or if he worked out or if he drank protein drinks or if he never skipped leg day. We don't know that about Samson. He could have looked like anybody. Double chin and all. But we don't know if he was strong. We don't know if he was muscular. But what we do know was when the spirit of the Lord came upon him, God had a plan and a purpose and used him for great big things. But he had those standards set in his life. But here's the problem. Samson had a hard time following those standards. Just seven days later, as he's walking down that same road, he sees that dead lion. But he also sees all these bees buzzing around it. And there is this hive that they have created inside of this dead lion. Now Samson knows that he's not supposed to touch anything that's dead. But the honey is so sweet. And that's so us, isn't it? We know our weak spots. We know where we shouldn't go. But sometimes we give in to temptation, don't we? And we compromise on our weak spots. We we may know that we struggle with alcohol and drinking, but we still go to the party. We know that we struggle with our boyfriend or girlfriend, but 
We still go over to their house when there's nobody else around, when it's late. We know that we struggle with gambling at a casino, but those big lights are just too much for us. We know that we're in deep credit card debt, but those red letters at Target are just too much for us. We go places that we shouldn't go. We give in to those temptations. Samson touches that dead body of that lion and he takes the honey out of it and he shares some with his parents. Then shortly after that, we find that he marries this Philistine woman. And when he marries her, they have this big wedding ceremony. Now, weddings back in Bible times weren't like they are today. Because typical weddings, they last a couple hours, you eat some stale wedding cake, and everything's good. But back then, their weddings would have been a seven-day affair. This would have been seven days of celebrating and usually involved a lot of alcohol. In the Bible, a lot of times it described wedding ceremonies as uh, like them being in good spirits. That means that they were drinking. So it's very easy for us to connect that Samson partied too, that he drank. So he has already violated two of those standards that was set up for them, but he's still holding on to that one last thing. And isn't that true that God loves us that same way? God loves Samson in spite of the fact that he didn't have it together. That's what I love about God's love for us. He loves us in spite of our fails, failures, in spite of the fact that we don't have it all together, and he wants to use us to accomplish his purposes. In the story of Samson, though, things go from bad to worse. That woman that he marries, who's Philistine, they take her and they give her to another man. Then after that, to get revenge for something that Samson does, they take her and they kill her along with her whole entire family. So Samson goes out and he kills a lot of Philistines. And after he's done with that, he retreats to a cave all alone and by himself. Well, the Philistines want to get to Samson. So they go to the Israelites and they say, hey, we want Samson. We're going to keep oppressing you if you don't give him to us. So the Israelites go to Samson in the cave. They say, hey, here's the Philistines' plan. Will you, will you come with us? And Samson says, yeah, I'll go with you if you don't kill me. And they say, and Samson instructs him to tie him up. So the Jewish people tie Samson up and they take him to the Philistines. And when he goes to the Philistines, the Bible says that the spirit of the Lord comes upon him and he rips off all of those ropes. Then it gets really gross. The Bible says that he grabs a jawbone of a donkey and it's fresh. He grabs a jawbone of a donkey and it's fresh and he rips it out. And he takes it and he uses the jawbone of the donkey to kill a thousand Philistine men. And then Samson gloats. He says, out of, the, out of a jawbone of a donkey, I have made donkeys out of them. The King James Version is much better. <laughs> you can read it when you get home. But Samson gloats. And then from then on, Samson actually judges over the nation of Israel for about 20 years. And we don't know exactly what happened to Samson, if he was a good judge or a bad judge. The next thing that we read in the story is that Samson goes and he visits a prostitute. I mean, this guy always struggled with women. 
It was his worst weakness. He always had a difficult time with this. Here is the guy who was the leader of the Israelites going to see a prostitute. This is scandalous. But the Bible is so honest. It's so honest about what happens. So Samson is in the city of Gaza. And the Philistines find out about it. So they lock him down. And they're thinking, this is our chance to get Samson. So they lock the gates tight. Well, Samson wakes up in the middle of the night. And the Bible says again that the spirit of the Lord comes upon him. And he rips the gate off of the ground. Gate, poles, and the post that held it. He picked it up and he carries it 36 miles to the outskirts of Hebron. This would have weighed about 10,000 pounds. We're talking, this is a modern day superhero. When the strength of God filled this guy, he was able to do incredible, amazing things. And you would think at that point that Samson would have learned his lesson. You see, Samson never took his weaknesses very seriously. He never got it under control. Shortly after he goes to visit the prostitute, the Bible says that he shacks up with a woman named Delilah. He goes and he hangs out with this gal named Delilah, and we don't know, but we think that she was probably a prostitute. She lived in the Valley of Red Grapes. Again, as a Nazarite, this is something that you shouldn't do. So he goes and he stays with Delilah, and he spends some time with her. And during that time, the Philistine people come to Delilah, and they make her a deal. They say, we will give you this large, exorbitant amount of money if you can find the secret of Samson's strength. And so for a while, Delilah is trying to figure out the secret of Samson's strength. And he kind of plays games with her a little bit. But finally, those games get to be too much for Samson. Here's what it says. With such nagging, she prodded him day after day until he was tired to death. Don't you love that visual picture? I mean, she just keeps going and going and going, and she cannot stop nagging him about this. And so finally, Samson gives in. Samson, after all the nagging, says to her this. So he told her everything. No razor has ever been used on my head. He said, because I have been a Nazarite set apart to God since my birth. If my head were to be shaved, my strength would leave me and I would become as weak as any other man. So he spills the beans. He says it all. And sure enough, the Philistines come and they pay Delilah. They give her that large sum of money. They bring in a person to shave Samson's head. They shave him, and then Samson wakes up. Now, in that moment, he's thinking, I'm God's favorite. God's going to bless me with that strength and that power again. God loves me, doesn't he? He wants me to be used for his purposes. But there's no strength. Samson is tied up, and he can't get free. And folks, that's exactly where our sin takes you and me. It takes us to a place where we're empty, alone, and we're left holding the bag. And that's where Samson is. Those Philistines see this as an opportunity, and so they take him, and this is what they do. Then the Philistines seized him, 
they gouged out his eyes and took him down to Gaza. Binding him with bronze shackles, they set him to grinding in the prison. So the Philistines take Samson and they put out his eyes. They take away his ability to see anything. They take him and they bind him with bronze shackles and they attach him to a grinding stone so that Samson goes round and round in that prison. And that whole time he's at that grinding stone, he's thinking about all the different things that he had done. He's filled with regret over the way that he had lived. He's thinking about his sin and the consequences. And Samson would say, it is never worth it. It's never worth it. He's grinding a stone like a donkey. Now, don't miss this. Because the Philistines were saying the same thing that he said. Samson, you thought that you'd make a donkey out of us. Now we're going to make a donkey out of you. So the Philistines are a little bit even more twisted than that. They throw this big party to celebrate Samson's defeat. The Bible says that they gathered at the temple of Dagon. And Dagon was a deity that they worshipped during that time. He was half man up top and half fish down below. He's one of the first mermen that we've ever seen. That's what he was. He was this grotesque creature that they worshipped as the Philistines. And so they wanted to celebrate. So they throw this big, huge party in the temple of Dagon. And they gathered that, that day so many people that there were 3,000 men and women on the roof. That didn't include all the others who were in the temple that day. And they sh shared the celebration. They had the celebration to say a couple different things to the Israelite people. They were saying this, our God is better than your God. They were making a statement that our God, our merman, is much better than the God of the Israelites. Your God is worthless. Your God is weak. He has no power to save you. Then they were also saying this, your champion is also weak. That guy who was your superhero, we have reduced him to nothing. Now he's in our prison grinding grain like a donkey. That's where he's at now. He is so weak. And then finally, we are celebrating your defeat. Now, nobody ever likes a sore winner. Somebody who just gloats when they win. Somebody who gets all up in your face and makes you feel small when they've won. But that's exactly what the Philistines are doing here. They're gloating. They're saying, we are celebrating your defeat because our God is better than your God. Your champion is weak and we have won the day. And in fact, the Philistines write a song to commemorate that day. And they say this, our God has delivered our enemy into our hands. The one who laid waste our land and multiplied our slain. While they were in high spirits, that means very drunk folks. They shouted, bring out Samson to entertain us. So they called Samson out of the prison and he performed for them when they stood him among the pillars. So they take Samson and they bring him out and they make him dance. They make him perform. They make sport of him. Now, folks, if this story ended here, it'd be nothing but a tragedy. It'd be so sad 
because this is just hopeless, both for Samson and also the Israelites and God's name, which they were trouncing on and making light of. But the story, folks, doesn't end here. You see, there's a small verse in the Bible that I absolutely love that tells us that his hair begins to grow. One person's very excited about that. <laughs> but yes, inside of that prison, his hair begins to grow. His hair begins to grow. Here's what the Bible says. It says, but the hair on his head began to grow again after it had been shaved. You see, there was this covenant that was returning with God again. God was saying, I'm not done with you yet, Samson. You've reached the lowest of the low, but I'm not done with you yet. And so his hair begins to grow. Then he returns to the Lord. He returns to the Lord in that moment of weakness, in that moment of despair. He has only one place to look, and it's up to God. So he begins to pray. It says this, and Samson prayed to the Lord, O sovereign Lord, remember me. And with one prayer, he's saying, God, I'm done. I'm done living life on my own. I have made a mess of this life by myself. So God, I'm remembering you now in this moment. And then we find this. He asked God for strength. He asked God for strength in that moment. Here's what it says. Oh God, please strengthen me just once more and let me with one blow get revenge on the Philistines for my two eyes. Samson in that one moment says, God, give me strength. Allow your power to rest upon me one more time so I can deliver the Israelite people from all the oppression of these Philistines. And so with that, God hears that prayer. Samson takes his two arms and he presses them against the two pillars and he knocks the temple down. And that day, the Bible says that he killed more Philistines in his death than ever before. The Israelites were now free from oppression, from bondage, and so much more. Samson gave his life so that more people could live. And that's the story of Samson. Samson is a story of a man who struggled with sin, but in the end, he got it right. He turned back to the Lord. So you might ask yourself the question, why is this guy ever in the hall of faith? Why? Why does he reserve a place in this list of all these greats. Here's why I think it is. Let me give you a few things. I believe, number one, God has a heart for sinners. God has a heart for people who just can't seem to get it right. And Samson was that. He was one of the worst of sinners. That's why it's a surprise that he's in the hall of faith. But God has a heart for sinners. And years after Samson, God would send Jesus Christ down to this earth to die a horrific death, to set us all free from the oppression that sin has brought into every single one of our lives. You see that our God has a heart for sinners. Then God's plan will always prevail. You see, you might raise your fist to God like the Philistines did 
And if you're outside a church and you're like, oh, Christians are just prudes and they've got so many standards and everything else, I don't know why anybody would want to win, live that way. Well, friend, you're in for a rude awakening because God has a way of always winning, always winning the day. God has a way of allowing his plan to prevail no matter what. Believe also that he's in the hall of faith because God turns our weakness into a strength. And this is the good news for all of us, that God can take that place of weakness in your life and he can use it for his strength. I love what it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse number nine. It says this, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest upon me. What's that saying? That's saying I'm gonna take pride not in the things that I do, but in my weaknesses. Because folks, that's where the power of God is. When I'm arrogant and I'm proud and I think I can do everything on my own, I am setting myself up for destruction. But when I acknowledge that I'm weak, when I acknowledge that I'm a sinner in need of a savior, that's what God can use. And that's what God wants to use for his purposes. It's people who don't have it all together, but it's broken sinners that say, God, I need you. That's all that God has to work with because we're all very broken. Samson's story, though, is one that shows us two different ways of living. You can either live the easy way or the hard way. The easy way is when I live in alignment with God's commandments, when I follow through with what he's called me to do. Man, I find life. I find peace. I find joy. I find so much more. But there's also a hard way. The hard way is exactly the way that Samson took, where he thumbed his nose at God and God's standards and he chose to live life his own way. Samson was left empty, alone, and holding the bag. And that's not the place that I want to see you as one of your pastors here at the church. I want to see that you take sin very seriously. I want to see that you recognize your own weakness and you invite God into that weakness and you get the help that you need. I want to see people who've never really reached out to Jesus Maybe even this weekend, reach out to God for the first time and say, God, I need you. I need the forgiveness that you offer because God loves sinners. So the choice is yours, friend. Will you go the easy way or will you go the hard way? Will you give yourself fully to God and the plan that he has for your life? Let's pray together. God, you know that this is a message that I have been wrestling with for the past two months because it's a hard one because I know there's lots of people who are struggling with sins and they're on a, a lot of different journeys. Some of them are just messing with sin. Some of them are neck deep in it right now and they see no way out. I pray though, God, that this weekend would be a weekend for freedom. I pray, God, that your healing might flow. 
I pray for the ones who may need to make a decision to follow you, that you might give them the courage and the strength to reach out for help. I pray, God, for the ones who are headed towards destruction, just like Samson was, that this weekend might be a wake-up call, that they'd stop taking sin lightly, but, God, they'd get serious about it. And, God, that they'd get their heart and their life right with you. And I pray even now in this moment that you would bring decisions, that people would choose to trust you, that people would choose to let go of their life of sin that never will fill them up. I ask this in Jesus' name, amen.